Welcome to our special edition podcast here on The World Game. I'm your host, Lucy Zelich, and joining me to celebrate and discuss the Socceroos' qualification for the 2018 FIFA World Cup are SBS Chief Football Analyst Craig Foster and the World Game writer Nick Stoll, a.k.a. Stolich. Lads, welcome to you mm. both. Uh, you'd have to say, Foz, we are in very good spirits this morning off the back of last night's result. Yeah, fantastic. It was, it was a really solid professional performance, I thought, uh, against a Honduran team that, you know, after the first leg, I think we're all extremely confident that we could get through. You still have to get the job done. Uh, but, you know, we saw last night very little threat from Honduras. So it was a really, a really very strong performance, one of the better ones um, in recent times. And after all of the carry-on of the last three or four months, which has just been grinding on everyone, uh, fans, um, players, I'm sure, uh, media and, uh, and no doubt the coaches, uh, it's good to get it done, uh, to finally be there. And all of the fans' excitement is palpable. You know, everyone's going to Russia. Stolich, your initial reaction after the result? Relief, I think. Uh, I, prior to the game, I didn't expect us to beat uh, Honduras and qualify prior to the qualification process I did expect us to qualify so it was joyful definitely but more so I guess the reaction compared to Uruguay 05 which it was just pure joy and elation this was much more of okay yes great but that's what we were expecting and the job is done and that's great and you know it's great for the game it's on all the front pages and back pages across the country. It's leading every sports bulletin. Uh, it's huge in terms of bringing new fans into the game, especially young fans and that kind of thing. Foz, we did it the hard way, though. Was there ever a period in your mind where you experienced some doubt about whether or not we would qualify? Um, yes. When? Um, oh, in recent times was the first time, really. Um just when we were coming near the end of the qualification campaign and particularly once we'd sort of, you know, changed system of play and we became a lot more vulnerable, uh, I thought we could be in a little bit of trouble. But given that we, uh, we, we knew we were coming through CONCACAF and it was uh, going to be Panama or Honduras, quite frankly, um, you know, I was always very, very confident. Uh, just before the first leg, though, I thought, oh, gee, let's see what happens away from home here. Some of the conditions weren't... Um, weren't suitable and uh, was I was a bit concerned but as soon as I saw Honduras in the first 15, 20, 30 minutes of that game I thought we will get through particularly given that we had the second game at home we were always incredibly strong Improved performances you'd have to say um, not only away to Honduras but um, here as well in Australia what did you put that down to? Is it just the fact that the squad has adapted to the, the new system that Postacoglu has been playing or is there something more at hand? Yeah it's part, it's it's certainly some of that, and it's also Honduras. Uh, but it's definitely both. So they've been playing, I don't know how many games, might be eight or ten now, if you look at the Confederations Cup as well, which was a big boost for the team. Uh, it, was, it was very good to play three strong teams and, um, and continue to, to try and play in the same manner and keep solving problems along the way. It was very, very valuable, I thought, was one of my reflections after the game last night. Uh, but also Honduras, they never threatened over two legs in any ways that were likely to um, test uh, or e potentially expose any sort of weak points of the team. 
uh, as you'd seen previously, and even in other Asian teams, whether it was Saudi Arabia or Syria and the others. I mean, their counter-attacking, for instance, was much more effective than Honduras counter-attacking. So a team that just basically sits and gives the ball at least has to have a strong counter-attack, and they, quite frankly, didn't even have that. Stolich, did you expect more from Honduras? I mean, to be honest, I knew nothing about Honduras prior to this. I mean, you know, they went, they got to the last World Cup, 2014. They had a few more kind of well-known players like Wilson Palacios, who was at uh, Tottenham at the time. This time, we didn't know much about them. Uh, our colleague, uh, Mexican Roberto, had seen them play against Mexico and said they weren't very good. You did expect more of a team at that stage of World Cup qualification. But really, I mean, outside of... I think they had that uh, right winger on... And he was quick, but they offered nothing. I mean, Ryan made one save over two legs. Mm. You know, it's yeah, the Asian teams were much, much more threatening. I think Syria would have beaten Honduras. Mm. Yeah, I agree. And Postacoglu, he did make four changes to the side that played in that first leg. So we saw Rogic, Cahill, Milligan, and Lecky come back into the side. Uh, Foz, your impressions of the starting eleven? Um, well, Tim was an interesting one. Um, but in these big moments, you always know that he's uh, he's a very good chance to um, be able to get something early. The the key to the game last night, very simply, was just scoring first. Um, they were never going to be able to score more than one. Um, and if they got that first one, it could have been complicated because then they would really have gone nowhere. Um, so Tim, Tim was an interesting one. Um, interesting why? Uh, because um, he's come off the back of a, a, a pretty solid injury, or so it appeared. It obviously wasn't as bad as what was f- expected by everyone, so that was good news. Um, secondly, you, when they are coming up the field, you wanted some speed to try and get in behind. Uh, but I can understand why, because the game was more aerial last night than a game that you're ever really going to see. I mean, the amount of headers in the game last night was just incredible. Mm. Uh, so... You know, the ball was in the air the entire time. Um, so I think it's for his big, mac- big match experience, perhaps, that he'd come in. Uh, the remainder, they didn't need to change too much. They could, they could change personnel because, you know, Rogic is obviously a fantastic player and so on. Um, on the right, Leckie had to play because of that speed. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And, and they kept Bayich on the left, who has been doing very well. And the, the rest was very solid. Mili Jednak. Yeah. So, wow. obviously, everyone wants to credit him for a hat-trick, but unfortunately, that first goal that he scored is, has been credited as an own goal. Yes, but, but th- it's kind of up for contention because FIFA, on their website, said it was an own goal. Looking at the replays, it does look like it's going wide, but... What do you think? I mean, I, I, it looked like it was going wide, but, I mean, just give him the Let's hat-trick. Let's just say it was Who a cares? hat-trick yeah, and his beard scored the first one. Yeah, yeah. Um, but what I want to know is the importance of having him return to the side. Obviously, he's been plagued by injury to have him in the first leg away to Honduras and now to see what he's what he what he accomplished I think I think night. it underlined that fact because he had barely played, I think he's barely played two consecutive games in over six months for or Villa. something for Aston Villa. And before that, he wasn't playing very regularly at Crystal Palace, which is why he forced the move and all that kind of stuff. And you look at how important he was in the first leg as a stabilising thing. And then, yeah, last night, leadership. But also, I don't know how many interceptions he got, but he was constantly kind of, you know, marching defence. He'd drop back to kind of create a back four almost when they were in that position. And, yeah, he was sensational. Uh, you know, 
I mean, when is he ever? He's never scored a hat trick in his life. So, (laughs) talk about a time. I mean, we talk about, we do talk about uh, Cahill having the ability to stand up in big matches, but Milo Jedinak does the same. You know, how many times he scored that penalty against Holland at the World Cup and. He does perform in the big moments. But unfortunately, the players who we're looking to as the next generation, um, Foz, i.e. Juric, for example, because both Juric and Cruz came on to replace Cahill and Rogic, respectively. Um, did you expect to see more from Juric, especially in, the, in, in these last two games? Uh, yeah, he certainly could have finished something in the first leg. Um, it remains a concern, definitely, because we've got through with the captain who doesn't score many goals, you know, and scoring a hat-trick, right, which speaks volumes. Um, having said that, um, Cruz was through. Would he have finished the one where he's through for the penalty? Um, I think very likely. Um, these guys are going to continue to have to be brought into the team and, and continue to grow. I think the big... The big uh, issue for me out of last night was there's been a discussion over the last four or five months, I guess, about as soon as results start to go a little bit poorly, rather than talk about the system of play and how it may be working, how the players may or may not fit into it and have a a really good discussion about how the team's being constituted, there are a lot of a section of the whatever, whatever it is, media and fans or whatever, talk, and even former coaches talk about going back to playing a counter-attacking style of play and so on constantly, right? And that's pretty natural because for them that's what they feel comfortable with. But you disagree with that methodology? Well, yeah, I always have uh, disagreed and SBS has disagreed for 30 years. But the thing about it is one thing that everyone should be clear about last night was one of the reasons why they only had... Um, they scored one header late in the game was because by playing in a proactive way you keep this type of team away from your goal for the majority of the game so that means you're trying to defend in their half all the time now there's many people that would have argued that over the course of these two legs we should sit back be cautious da 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 more pragmatic but there's a there's it brings its own risk in sitting back Every way of playing has its own risk. And it may well have, I believe it would have, but people should think about whether it's more risky to play that style that Pinto played rather than Australia looking to be always on the front foot and keep people in their own half. So when they scored that that last goal in the last few minutes, I thought, well, that's the exact reason why Australia should always play in this manner. Mm -hmm. Because all they had was balls in the air. You know, we must have headed 100 balls last night. So what they wanted was constant free kicks into the box. So the more that you keep them away from the goal, the less opportunity they have. And then they go score one late, and you think, well, you know, against a, this might be one reason why they had success getting through their own qualification. Like, I haven't seen USA for a while, but they're pretty crap, to be honest with you. You know, a couple of years ago under Klinsman, we were saying, look, he really should go. They've got no identifiable style of play. They, they rely very heavily on Dempsey and a, a, a few key players. And Aging now players I too. I think Arena came in to try and save him, whatever. I'm, from my understanding, and, and years ago, he's more of a cautious type of coach. I would imagine, having watched the games, that that's probably what's occurred. Um, they might have got something on the counter-attack, Honduras, possibly, but in the air, they're strong. So, you know, it's, it's important afterwards to always reflect on what are, what are the good elements and why it is that we've been advocating for 
continuing to play this way. So judging by your comments then, you agree that this system of play is what our national team needed to evolve to? Well, the system of play is different. I'm just talking here about the philosophy, the, the way of playing. Right? Okay. That, that is, that always trying to be aggressive, always attacking opponents irrespective of who they are. And, you know, and we've been talking for years about how when you do that and you get counterattacked, you can then start to become better at stopping the counters. You can use different players. You can use... And this team's evolved a little bit in the last six months. Now you've got Leckie and you've got Bayich. Do you, you know, agree with the evolution? I think that's what I'm trying to get to. Do no, you I, agree I agree with, with the a, I agree with a, a very flexible team. And therefore, my my personal feeling is that a team, a national team, should be able to play many systems. Adaptable. Yeah. A, a versatile team is, is what football is today. Um, and sometimes I think we've been inflexible. But in, in games where the system has worked, wonderful. And it worked very well against uh, Honduras because um, they really didn't have a tremendous amount to offer. From an online perspective, Nikki, you've had the chance to cast your eye over the world game, you know, several platforms on social media. What's been the reaction of the fans? What's everybody been saying? Well, I mean, it's hard because, you know, when you look at these things, not everyone who's a football fan comments on world game Facebook pages and articles and that. It's a, it's a small minority, a vocal minority who do comment, whether that is a representation of the biggest hype. But the, definitely the comments this morning were... And just shown everyone where are the haters now, you know, all this kind of there was too much negativity in the press prior to this, you know. That's easy to say it, now it, that we've qualified. Yes, but that's right? always the online the online reaction is always very reactive. There is very little I mean, with respect to our, Common sense. I'm sure our podcast listeners are much... No, that's very normal. That's very normal. But yeah, but it's just a very kind of reactive... You win, everyone's great. You yeah. win, everything's rosy. You lose, everyone's a donkey. Yeah. And it's one of the um, problems, actually, in world football. And here also, it's natural, but it is becoming more of an issue, is this question of the, the lack of context around most of the discussions. Yeah, that's very natural because football is all about emotion particularly and so people feel losses and wins extremely strongly and tend to go to, to one extreme or the other. And it's a become a big issue in football globally actually and here it's, it's getting stronger and stronger is this question of um, extremes so that there's very little discussion around what actually is occurring and there's very little balance around... Um, what all of the ingredients are, the context, it simply becomes if you qualify and it's everything's unbelievably good, which of course yeah. it's not. I and if you if you don't qualify, then it's unbelievably bad, which of course it's not. I read and a that's good what we've thing seen. saying in football, uh, temporary situations can lead to permanent conclusions. Mm. So, for example, you know, Mourinho at the start of the season, he was mentioned on a beat for, oh, Mourinho, this unbelievable team, they're looking so good, 4-0, 4-0, 4-0. And then, even at a temporary situation as well, he draws nil to Liverpool, City start to really take a bit of a lead, and then suddenly it's, oh, he's far too... Uh, negative. He's, he's not the coach that he once was. Again, these are both extremes in this yeah, thing. Yeah, that's true. But it's just temporary trends. Yeah, context doesn't really sell... This is one of the issues with the media. Context doesn't sell podcasts, mm. generally. Uh, context doesn't sell copy anymore. What sells copy now is... Uh, unbelievable or donkey? Okay, so if you had to look at, in isolation, what's happened with Italy 
mm. and them not qualifying, what's the kind of context required in that situation, Foz? So the thing about it is to understand what's happening along the way. So, and, and we're not there, I'm not there, and I haven't watched all their qualification games. But in other words, what I'm saying is just, just because you qualify or otherwise shouldn't mean that that is um, unbelievable or you're an absolute idiot. So in other words, you should have worked out whether Ventura was capable of doing the job and whether he was doing it well and whether he was fulfilling his obligations a long time ago not just when he didn't qualify. That's right. And what happens in football is a lot. Clubs go through this a lot. Uh, they, they, I don't know if it's because they live in hope or what, but it just becomes, oh, well, okay, let's stick with this. And then all of a sudden it goes badly. It was all a complete disaster or it goes well and everything's fine. Well, and of I course, think, that's really the case. And I think if you look at uh, nations who don't do that, so for example, Germany, even though mm. they made a final in 2002, they still rehauled their entire right. system. Yeah. So it's that thing of like, they realise that, well, this is, we had a temporary good run at the World Cup, mm. but there are structural issues that we need to reform. And that has now led to yeah, what, right. uh, you know, semi-final at pretty much yeah. every tournament, 2006, yeah. 2008, Bayern also do it well. So Bayern were the, the club who said, look, Heinkes is in the job. And how often have you seen this, right? And, and even, so it's happened twice in our recent experience. Firstly, Heinkes is in the job. It's, we don't think it's going terribly well. We need a new direction. We've seen what's happened in Spain. We, wanna, we, we understand that we need to regenerate our ideas. We want to bring Guardiola. And they plan ahead. Now, which clubs actually plan coaching ahead? It's one of the issues that Australia may well have right now. Very right? much so. And then what happened is, um, you know, Ancelotti came in. They, they would have had him in mind. So they have succession planning, which is important. Then they bring him in. It doesn't work for whatever reason, which can happen. Well, supposedly one of the big reasons was, because they won the title last year, but one of the big reasons, apart from like maybe the 4 0 loss to Paris, was he wasn't particularly interested in blooding young players. And that was a concern for them because they were saying... Okay, well but then to go back to Heinkes as well, which, Foz, mm -hmm. we have mm -hmm. done a couple of their Champions League games mm -hmm. more recently yeah. and seen that, that that particular style of football, I on a personal level don't agree with mm -hmm. it necessarily. So you can't imagine that Heinkes is uh, a long-term plan for them at this no. stage. Um, they're obviously looking to bring in a new mm. coach. But, I mean, do you agree with his football philosophy that he's, that he's reintroduced to Bayern now? Well, what I agree with is that Bayern had a long-term idea they recruited over a period of time gave it considerable thought which doesn't tend to happen in football at all uh, then what happened is they recruited Ancelotti I'm surprised if they wanted him to recruit uh, to blood young players and he didn't do so I'd be surprised by that because they're very strategic so these guys know what they're doing uh, then what happened is They've brought, what I like is, they've said, well, look, Ancelotti, that's not working. Sometimes decisions need to be made. You need to leave. But instead of a knee-jerk reaction and just get someone else, they bring someone in then who they know is capable of on a short-term basis. And even if it compromises their immediate um, idea of play, they're happy to wear that in order to get one of the best on the planet again. And now they're maybe perhaps talking about Tuchel or Nagelsmann and these guys. So they're far more strategic than most people are in football globally. And one of the reasons is because everyone goes nuts. There's immense emotion around everything, which is fantastic. But it drives a lot of decision makers from the people who lead clubs and or indeed 
uh, any any stakeholder in the game. Okay, so let's talk about context around this Socceroos side in particular now when we think about now we have qualified, uh, you know, what are our chances of actually getting something out of this World Cup campaign will be another question down the line that mm-hmm. I'll ask. But in the short term, Foz, the context we need now, mm-hmm. what is it? Well, you need to review the whole campaign. And, um, you know, the current coach, Ange Postacoglu, there's some talk today that he may or may not be leaving. I don't know. It's been going on for months. Um, he's under contract. So clearly if he stays... But but there's been... I'm not saying this current situation is the one, but there's been in the past where they qualified. Like I remember Ozzyk, you know, when Ozzyk was, was in the seat, right? And you remember we, we took it right to the last game, right, mm-hmm. against Japan, that's right? Iraq. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably a couple of months before, we were only mid, mid-campaign, mid to late campaign. And David Gallup asked me, what do you think about Holger? And I said to him, well, listen, Dave, there's two things here. If he qualifies, sack him. And if he doesn't qualify, sack him. Wow. Right? Because the idea, the point was, and that was, that, was a, that was a private discussion. I didn't write that. I didn't talk about it. But the reason I said it to him is because it's not going well. And it doesn't matter if he qualifies. It's not going to be good enough for us at the World Cup. Okay? Right. The job can be done better and he's not capable of doing to the level that we need and that this team is capable of. Do you have the same opinion of the current situation no, 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 with no, Buster no. Coglu? No, 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 no. Has uh, Gallup asked you? <laughs> uh, no, no, he hasn't asked me, no. Um, um, no, but I do have concerns about it because of the way Ange has been behaving in the last four or five months. It's Whether it's frustration or whether it's that he understands that it's coming to the end of a cycle, whether it's been four years and sometimes a coach's voice can lose a bit of its resonance in inside a group you know that's quite a long time for a bunch of people to be together that's why uh bella goodman and all these people essentially work on three-year cycles um other concerns are that you know a lot of the public have clearly got offside Mm -hmm. um and you know crowds have been an issue and so on and um you know, add to that the fact that they haven't been performing well, but both the player and coach have been carrying on about what a disgrace it is everyone has been criticising, which is complete and utter rubbish. Right? They have every They have every right to do it. So everyone's, everyone loves the fans. Thanks for the fans all coming out, 77,000, paying your money and come. That's right. But shut your mouth and don't criticise us if we don't play well. Right? But I'll tell you what, we love you when you're here and, and when we win, but when we don't win, then we really don't like you and what you have to say. Well, see, all that, we've got to get beyond all that. And I just don't know if if Ange gets takes them to the World Cup, um, you know, f- fantastic. Uh, but after that, it'll be it'll be time. It'll be a good time to regenerate, bring a fresh voice, a fresh voice also in public, uh, a fresh voice to talk to Australia with a different narrative as well. Um, but if indeed he decides to stay, then he he deserves to do so because he's done. They've had a difficult campaign, but in the end, he got the job done. So I just want to pick up uh, on Postacoglu's comments that he made in the aftermath of the result. Of course, there's been a lot of speculation around his job, whether or not he'll stay, whether or not he'll go. But one interesting comment that he did make, Stolich, was, I'll always be an outsider in Australian football. How do you judge those comments first and foremost? And then how much do you buy into the speculation about his position? Which, can I remind everybody, was also based on a single article coming out saying that it was incredibly likely that he'll be going, whether or not we qualified. I don't understand. It seems like he has a massive chip on his shoulder uh, 
regarding his position and it, it always seems like he's kind of inventing haters and these critics who don't seem to exist in great numbers. Of course, everyone is going to have critics all the time, especially in such a prominent position. You will find people who will say terrible things about you. But it's not uncommon, especially no. in world football. And this idea of him being an outsider, well, he's he was been the national team coach. I don't know how you can get more insider than being the national team coach. He's also been previously the coach of two A-League teams. He's coached at youth level. He's worked in the media. I mean, at a certain point, like well, who, who he an outsider? It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so, well, what do like, you think he's? How many times you need to, to go inside before you're an insider? Well, what do you think he's referring to then when he casts himself as this outsider? I think it's a nice self-narrative, self-identity kind of thing. People like to feel almost like that they're this renegade and that everyone's fighting against them. It's a nice narrative to tell yourself and it keeps you kind of going forward. I don't know particularly what he... I mean, if he thinks that getting any criticism makes you an outsider, if he thinks that people in the media criticising him makes him an outsider, I mean, look at all coaches around the world at every decent national team, they get criticised all the time. You know, I mean, Guardiola will get criticised at Barcelona. And how much more inside do you want to be? You've been at the club 25 years. Like, I don't know. It's, to me, it's a, I don't know, a ridiculous comment. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I guess it's difficult to feed into the speculation about whether or not he will stay or will go, Foz. But um, we were just talking earlier and I said, uh, for me, quite frankly, I'm no longer concerned about whether or not he stays or goes. I think from my perspective in particular, um, I just want the right person in the job that's going to have the best interests of this national team at heart. And now that we have qualified, if he is going to go, you'd like to hope that FFA do have a succession plan in mind and that they are actually scouting about for a coach to come in and, and take that place, especially now that we have qualified? Yeah, well, you have to have one. So every club should have one. Every um, governing body should have one. Um, so that's a fact. Um, I, I don't know how many, just on the discussion you had before, I don't know how many, how, how many former Socceroos coaches actually had played a great deal for Australia. Was there many? No. Well, no. I mean, there's barely been, <laughs> you know. So I don't know. I think the question's redundant. I mean, yeah. Holger didn't play for Australia. Pim didn't play for Australia. Hitting didn't play Hiddings for Australia. Yeah. Farina yeah. did. Uh, Rally Rasic didn't play for Australia. Terry Venables didn't play for Australia. No, Rob Blanco. Rob Blanco didn't play no. for Australia. So have any of them actually played for Australia? Graham Arnold is the only one. Yeah. Right. So what has it got to do with caps exactly? I'm not sure because it is a quite a bizarre comment. He said, um, for those that don't know, he said, I don't have the glittering soccer, socceroo career that you need, but that's fine. I wear that as a badge of honour. I mean, this is the thing. It seems like maybe that has been said somewhere. That's, that's and, nonsensical. And, yeah. and we haven't heard it, right? Okay, fair enough. But I don't know where, uh, like, it hasn't been said widely. He said this previously, he talked about that. His name had been... People had called him Ange Winjakogalu or something like that. Uh-huh. And it was... But even if someone has said that, it's not like it has been widespread throughout the football media. So, and so what if it is? Well, I mean, what do they call you? What do they call me? What do mm. they call you? What yeah. do they call... The, if you're in politics, if you, do you understand what you have to go through in the public domain if you're in politics? And why? Is it because you're an important public position people have a right to question everything? 
that's their right. Um, it's the same in public positions, whether it's in the media, us, yeah. whether it's in sport, whether you are a CEO of a club, you're a chairman of a club, you're a coach of an A-League team. I, I don't understand the relevance. In, in Spain, they used to call Del Bosque, who won them a World Cup and a European Championship, Mr. Potato Head. Mm. <laughs> like, after mm. he's won yeah. it. Like, widely. Yeah, but that's a bit different. So, yeah, I understand. The thing is, like, um, who was the guy they called him Turnip Head in England and so on, right? So when it turns nasty... You know, and the English press is are famous for that. Fleet Very Street. much so. Yeah, that's that to me just goes stupid. It's like if you don't if you don't like what a um, you know a public politician or a public person is doing, okay, then argue, argue your the point. facts, not yeah, not yeah. No, so don't make good, it a personal a attack. It's not it's not need. But if people are saying that, okay, in in recent um, conversations with the public, you know, they felt that he's had a negative and and this, you know, whatever. Um, then that's their right. Okay, good luck. So the thing is, um, yeah, so some of those comments, I don't quite understand them. Uh, in terms of whether he's going to go, um, it would be great if he stays. It would be fantastic if he goes because I'm hoping if he goes, he's ambitious. I'm hoping that he's going to get a European club and be another one like Tony Popovich and you know Joe Montemuro. We discussed it last week. That's his next career path, and um, Eddie Thompson. And Asia is no longer exciting, really, from that perspective. So Eddie Thompson, when he was a soccer coach, went to Japan after that. Right? Um, and, um, you know, Graham Arnold was in Japan, and um, Tony Popovich was um, talked about in China and so on, right? But what we really need, after 15 years now, but what we really need, 12 years after the A-League started, and... Uh, and all of this new investment in coaching is for our coaches now to take a, a new step, a new path. So there's been some talk about Glasgow Rangers, which to me makes a little bit of sense because you've got Craig Moore and Kevin Muscat who played there, mm-hmm. you know, and certainly Maury is a bit of a legend of the club and so could give him a reference. You saw Montemuro recently as one of his former uh, Man City, uh, uh, sorry, Melbourne City, uh, female players, imports, who's at Arsenal, who then had recommended him mm-hmm. so you need an entree somehow uh and le- i'm hoping that he can um organize an entree through an ex-player or someone he's coached or something to be able to get to a, a top level in europe fingers crossed because that's where we need our coaches going we need that pathway now so whether he does it now or post world cup to me it will be a fantastic step be a fantastic step for him uh, and it will be a great step for Australian football. We'd have uh, him, we'd have uh, Tony, who, even if he doesn't survive in a difficult situation in Turkey, will certainly find another club and he'll, he'll make it because he's ambitious, he's an extremely hard worker and he's, and he's a good person. Um, when it comes to succession, that may, however, be an issue because you've got to talk now about um, the way of playing. The, the philosophy of play. So it obviously has headed. to be a coach that right. is well-versed exactly. in the exactly. style well, that we want to play exactly. and exactly. that maintains Supposedly, that. the favourite is, if Angus Talia, mm-hmm. the favourite, and the rumour is that Graham Arnold will be... Yeah, well, his style of play, if you look at the way he's that he sets different. Sydney up, is yeah. is more pragmatic and more counter-attacking. From my perspective, do we want yeah. to go back to that? Or does the coach have to understand, and this is where the governing body really have to come in with the right mandate to, to illustrate that 
if you are to come into this position, this is the style of football that we want to be playing. Well, and if you don't fit that criteria, yeah. then we won't take you on. Well, they've got a national curriculum. They've got a national direction. They, they, they're coaching this in the coaching license. It has, it has been problematic, that's for sure. But certainly Problematic how, Foz? Oh, just because the implementation and, you know, the junior national teams are struggling and blah, blah, blah. There's many different aspects which have made it more problematic than it should have been. Uh, and they, many of those things aren't helpful. But um, when it comes to the senior national teams, the Matildas are playing in a much more aggressive, press high, be proactive, take everyone on manner and look at the success they've had. Mm-hmm. What are they number in the world now? I believe they're fifth. They were number five. Matildas are very close to being a realistic chance. Well, in fact, they probably are now. A re- that in fact, they are a realistic chance of winning the next World Cup. Okay, they are. With Sam Kerm going, they're becoming more effective at what they're doing. So it's not just the Socceroos who've been implementing this style of play. It's actually the Matildas as well. So Stadjik has put in place a very aggressive way of playing without the ball they're extremely good in their pressing. They, they disrupt Brazil, Japan, everyone on their recent tour. They've also been doing an exceptional job of um, taking Australia in a new direction, right? So you can't step back now. But what, what on the outside, looking in all the time, um, what not annoying but is concerning is that every time we take half a step back we we have a tendency to want to there's this whole groundswell of look this is not working <laughs> it's demonstrably working i mean the soccer is won the asian cup uh just qualified again and um the matildas are having their best results ever and are arguably the form number one team in the world right now forget the rankings so in other words it's patently obvious that they should have a list or they were going to need to recruit a coach who is capable and willing of playing in a proactive manner and continuing to learn along this path. Whether it's in this coming World Cup uh, or post that, you have to find a coach now who has a similar philosophy to the other national coaches, one of whom is Ange Postacoglu. My apologies, Matildas are actually sixth. Uh, okay. They did jump right. up in June. They, they did were get up to seventh, five, yes. and then yeah. they, they were up at right. five at a point, and now they're at six. I mean, yeah, no. the rankings are tumultuous. No, of no, course. No. But, that, but, but they're in that zone. Yeah. Of course. But going forward, of course, another subject that came out of last night's result was Tim Cahill and the comments that he made post-match uh, Stolich. He said, for me now, I've got to make some big decisions on the level of where I'm playing at and what I'm going to do. We'll just enjoy this for now, but I need game time. I know this was going to happen. It was only a matter of time. I'm excited for the future. So he's alluding to, I guess, um, you know, potentially leaving Melbourne City to ensure that he has game time leading up to the World Cup. Uh, by that stage, he will be 38. Stolich, where's your head at in terms of what he still has to offer this national team and what he will at the point that we need to go to when we get to Russia? I mean, it's clear that his priority is to go to a fourth World Cup with Australia over whatever he needs to do with City. So if he leaves City in January, possibly, because that's when the transfer window opens, on a loan or something like that, that's a possibility. And maybe it's not the worst thing for him. I mean, But where does he go? I, I don't know. I mean, you can't see him playing at an extremely high level anywhere. He's played, obviously, in China and the US, and although I think the US has a similar calendar to us, so that might be difficult in terms of uh, 
like being the right option. Does he go back to Everton and train? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, he would be feeling it out. But yeah, you want him playing. There is that gap from what finishing in March until the World Cup starts in June. I yeah, I think even if he doesn't go somewhere, I still think he's going to be a part of the squad, and I still think you have him there from an experience and a leadership point of view, and the fact that he has been one of our most prolific goal scorers in this campaign. So, Another comment he made, to get to a World Cup, you need to be playing at the highest level. My job was qualifying for the World Cup. My next job now is testing myself to see how competitive I can be if I want to get to another World Cup. Now, based on those comments, to get to a World Cup, you need to be playing at the highest level. Um, and then to make comments suggesting that he could potentially be leaving Melbourne City suggests that he would be going to another top club, Foz, but at 37 going on 38, um, you can't imagine any top clubs in the world would be willing to take him on. Uh, wh- what could his next possible move entail from a playing perspective, do you think? Yeah, so... Um I'm not sure about that. So, look, there's a lot of euphoria right now, and this would go for uh, Ange Postacoglu and Tim Cale. Um, my reflection on last night is I just think it should really have just been about the team and the qualification. Agreed. And I think it should have just stayed there. Um, look, Millet did an unbelievable job and all this. Is, and let's just focus on that for the time being. Um, so I think it's a bit unfortunate that that didn't happen. Anyway, now these issues have come up, some of them last night. For Tim, you know, he had an obligation. I think he had an obligation to come because Australia, uh, through playing for Australia and so on, has also provided um, Tim with a lot of, you know, a lot of opportunity with with a lot of, um, you know, he's become a legend of Australian life. Um, so I would love to see him stay. So... Can he go and play at the high level, at the highest level, at 37 years of age? I don't know. Um, that's questionable, I think. And the other thing is, you see this a lot with Italy in the past. Um, perhaps Tim is concerned that if the coach changes, that that might be a factor, but you don't know that until a new coach comes in. And with Italy in the past, they were very good at people like Maldini and Costa Curta and so on, countries who do allow players to go on late. Um at being able to say, well, actually, you don't need to be playing regularly at a high level. What you need to be doing is maintaining yourself physically because we know you already have the quality. So that possible scenario could feed into something like what Stolich alluded to, maybe yeah. going and just training at a club like Everton exactly. and just keeping up your match fitness and being in an environment where the facilities right. and the and the medical assistance is at the highest level. But I, That's right, and I don't think there's any question. Whoever came in, or indeed if they do continue... Uh, I don't think there's any question Ange would be, um, uh, Tim would be there because um, he still offers so much in terms of big match moments, ability to provide something different, an aerial leadership threat, to the, to the leadership inside, leadership inside the group, but also aerial threat, which is or poachers threat, things things falling in the box at set pieces, which is incredibly valuable in one-off, essentially knockout games. Uh, at the World Cup uh, as we've seen before.
Well, we would love to see him go on to a fourth World Cup campaign, which would be just a remarkable achievement for him. Gentlemen, it's been fantastic to have your company as always. Okay, pleasure. Of course, we leave on good terms because we are going to Russia. This is fantastic news and we'll look forward to all the narrative and the headlines that will come out in the next oh, few months, no doubt, fun. concerning a few few individuals, um, whether that's Ange Postacoglu or Tim Cahill or any other players. I mean, but for the moment, we just need to savour this particular moment and that is that we are off to Russia 2018. Of course, the permutation of which group we're going to end That's up in going to be great. will be very fascinating. Of course, the draw takes place on December 2, uh, our time. Mm. So I'm sure that we'll have plenty more to discuss when that well, day arrives. The probability arrives. of a group of death, of course, is much lower now. Well, of course. With now, at least which, five you, big nations out. That's exactly right. Yeah. So when you look at it, and Nikki, you ran a few of the permutations. I mean, if you had to quickly rattle off the ideal group, what would it be? I think the ideal group would be in uh, pot one, possibly Russia or Poland. So that's your kind of first seed. Then in uh, pot two, you definitely want to avoid Spain. But if you picked up maybe Switzerland, uh, that wouldn't be too bad. And then, so if you got Russia, Switzerland, and then pot three, say uh, uh, Senegal, I think Australia could do something with that. Oh, this this draw is going to be fantastic. Mm. It's it's one of the reasons why I'd, I'd, I'd be slightly surprised if there's a change in the coaching because this is the best opportunity for a very long time to get out of the group. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you've got at least five out of the round of 16 not getting in. You've got definitely weaker group stage than what you've had in the last several World Cups. This is a, a phenomenal opportunity for Australia to do something. And, and once we, if we're able to get out of that group again, wow, Australia's just going to go mad. There's so much to look forward to. You, Absolutely. You could, could also get Brazil and Spain <laughs> in the one group. So. Or Portugal. Uh, yeah, you could you could get Germany, Spain. There's a, there's, a, there's a few combinations in there we want to avoid. We do, as a nation, have a reputation for drawing the group of death, but let's hope that based on what Foz is saying too with the current um, you know teams and the situations mm. that we're in, let's hope for a better draw for us. And, of course, um, if you are listening to this, there's so much more football to look forward to on SBS. This weekend we have Arsenal hosting Spurs in the North London Derby live from 11pm. We're looking very forward to that. That is Eastern Daylight Time, so make sure you tune in. Myself and Foz and the team will be looking very forward to bringing that to you. But in the meantime, for any of the stories that we have referenced on the podcast today, make sure you head to the World Game website where you can get your daily fix of all the latest news from not just the Socceroos result, but from around the world. But in the meantime... Podcasters, thank you so much for tuning in. And on behalf of the World Game team, it's been great to have your company. And until next time, it's bye for now.